0: Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message from our series called Managing Your Inner World, and it explores the things that Jesus said about how to have happiness in life, something everyone wants but may try to secure in the wrong way or not understand how to attain it at all. The Bible gives us clear direction on how to manage our inner world so that we can experience true happiness in life. We hope that you enjoy today's message. We started a series last week called Managing Your Inner World. And uh, it's, it's based off of uh, the Sermon on the Mountain. Jesus was really addressing the fact and that in life, there's many things that go on circumstantially that we can't change. That they're in the past or, or it could even be in the present. And uh, there may not be a lot that can be done about it, but that we can always deal with what's going on inside of us. And often it's what's going on inside of us that makes all the difference in how we handle what goes on circumstantially throughout our lives. And I believe that's a lot of why Jesus took this time to focus on what true happiness is as he goes through and blessed this and blessed is that. And and what's that all about? Well, that word blessing basically means to be happy. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to be happy, you got to deal with your inner world that it's not going to be about having everything perfect and everything just set and fixing every problem that goes on in your life. It is going to be about the person that you become and what God does in your life. And so that's that's the series we started today when we're talking about receiving comfort. You know, everybody receives or, or experiences rather losses in their life. And those losses can range from the loss of a loved one to, uh, you know, in life or, or pain of other kinds of losses. Even our hopes and dreams, when they come to a halt, there's a a sense of, of mourning, that we had an expectation for something, and now, you know, that hasn't worked out maybe for us. Or mourning, though, is basically a response or a feeling of loss of some kind that comes into life And what God promises us in these times is found in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, where he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In other words, they shall not continue with this spirit of mourning, this this place of despair, this place of of pain isn't going to continue forever. They're going to receive comfort. And what makes this promise so relevant and so powerful is that when you're in a time of mourning, you can feel like this will never end. When you've experienced loss, you can feel like, man, I'm, I, I, what I'm feeling right now, that's never gonna go away. And the reason is, is because that loss often is so permanent. And, and so we can, we can feel that way, but the promise of God is this, Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. In other words, you're not gonna stay at that place. If you're in that place right now of mourning over something, you're not gonna stay in that place forever. The loss may be permanent, but the pain is not. God promises comfort. Now, how do I experience that? How does that all work out in our lives? Well, first of all, in times of pain, run to God, not from him. In times of pain, run to God, not from Him. You know, I've watched people run away in their time of pain. Uh, trouble comes into their life, and they decide, "Oh, I'm I'm just I'm just going to isolate." Um, I'm gonna avoid conversations, they avoid their friends, they avoid church, they avoid some of the regular things that they normally would do with this sort of feeling of, well, you know, I've got this problem and I'm just gonna go ahead and handle this by myself and and they disconnect and all the rest of it. As one person said, isolation makes you devil bait. And and when we do that, when we disconnect like that, we go into a place of isolation, it's a place where your thoughts can just run wild. And now there's accusation, there's misrepresentation, there's depression, there's all of these things. Why? Because you've cut yourself off from the very source that is meant to help you go through what you're going through. And there are times when we need to get alone with God and we need to pray and we and we need to have that sense of, of being by ourselves, but that's not the isolation I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is an isolation that is about disconnection, and it's unhealthy for our lives. Listen, when trouble comes into your life, here's the other thing I've noticed. What you believe about the Lord will come to surface. What you believe when trouble comes into your life is either gonna help you or it's gonna hurt you. But what you really believe, what's really down in your heart is gonna come up. Your theology gets revealed in times of trouble. I mean, you know, when it's, when it's good times, when everything's going great, you can say what you believe, but, you know, God is good and all, all. That's easy to say when life is good and everything's wonderful. But when you're in trouble, when you're in pain, when that happens, what you really believe is what's going to come up. That's what's going to come out of your mouth. And it's either going to hurt you or it's going to help you. You know, sometimes when people are in a place of pain and trouble, they can begin to question God, kind of like David did. Psalms 10 and verse one, he says this, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in a time of trouble? You know, like David, we can begin to accuse God you know, we can even get angry at God. We can blame the Lord for our troubles and, and, and think, well, God, you know, you say you're loving, but that's not what I'm experiencing right now. And, and we can begin to see God as the one who even uh, fails us or who might even be the source of our trouble. Uh, you know, th- this is sometimes where people's thoughts can go. This is where David's thoughts were going in this moment. I think of another person in the Bible like this was Job's wife. You know, when, when Job had lost everything, you know, his home is, is lost, his business is lost, his, his children, you know, died in a disaster. She comes along to Job and she says, why don't you just curse God and die? Job chapter 6 and verse 10, Job says this, at least I can take comfort in this. Despite the pain, I have not denied the words of the Holy One. In other words, David's looking and he's going, yeah, I got all this stuff going on around me, but you know what? I'm not changing my convictions and my beliefs about who God is in my life. I'm not letting what's going on around me shape my beliefs in God. My theology comes from God's word, not from my situation. Job found comfort in his convictions. He didn't change his beliefs because of his experience, and eventually his experience changed to align with his beliefs. Job realized that even if he lost everything in life, he could still have his relationship with God, and nothing could take that from him, and it would sustain him. In Job chapter 1 and verse 22, it says this, Despite all this, all that he went through, despite all he went through, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. In other words, Job didn't change his position about his relationship with God. Job Job didn't decide, well, I've just gone through all of this and God, you're supposed to bless me. You're supposed to take care of me. Looks like you didn't come through. Well, I'll just go ahead and morally change my conduct because, well, after all, I guess it doesn't matter. And and God, why did you do this? And why did you allow this? And all all this other stuff, Job doesn't go there at all. Says, despite all of this, Job didn't sin, nor did he blame God. You know, David's experience led him to change what he said about God in times of trouble as well. In Psalms 46 and verse 1, he says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, instead of accusing God, he begins to realize that when he's in a time of crisis and pain, that God is there to comfort him. That when pain is happening, when when there's crisis, when there's mourning, it's a time to press into God's presence. His presence is accessible like nothing else. I've heard people talk about going through difficult times, and in those difficult times, experiencing God's presence in a unique way that they did not experience when everything was at peace. When in pain crisis or mourning, those kinds of times, it's a time to press into. it. Listen, it's a time to already have established your conviction, hey, God's here. He hasn't left. Yeah, troubles, all, here I got problems, I'm dealing, but guess what? God's presence hasn't left. He comforts us in all of our troubles, but he's not the author of it. In Hebrews chapter 13, in verse five, the scripture says, for the Lord has said, I will never, never fail you nor forsake you. That is why we can say without doubt or fear, the Lord is my helper. I'm not afraid of anything that mere man can do to me. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter or the helper. It literally means this, one called alongside to help. That is what the Holy Spirit does in your life. That is what the Holy Spirit does for you. His presence comforts us. It gives us the capacity to deal with life and to to deal with it with a sense of confidence. You know, he helps us along the way, bringing wisdom and guidance and miracles where needed. Comfort is found in knowing you're not alone. You're not alone. David says it this way in Psalms 23 and verse 4, even when walking through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me, guarding and guiding all the way. David discovered that in the dark times of life, the troubled times of life, that God's presence was there to be experienced. But not only that, God's presence sustained him to be able to deal with what he was dealing with. Turn to God for his promises, not his explanations. This is one other thing that we do in crisis. We want to make sense of it. We want some kind of an explanation. We ask God a question that can often never be answered. Here's the question. Why? Why? Why is this happening to me? You know, and, and when somebody, uh, you know, when we're looking for this explanation and, and the question becomes this, when has the explanation ever really satisfied your need for comfort through a challenging time? When when you're looking for that explanation, there's no explanation that does that for you. It doesn't bring a life back to us when we get an explanation. It doesn't restore a business. It doesn't heal all wounds. Often, the question why is the question that remains unanswered, and it's the people who just have to have an answer for the question why that can sometimes give you the most off answer and the most, frankly, unbiblical answer because of their commitment to feeling like we have to answer this question why. And that's exactly what's going on in Job's life. He's got his friends saying, there's a why behind all of this, Job. Let us throw out some possibilities. And of course, at the end of it all, God's like, no, none of them are right. We don't stand... On the explanations, we stand on the promises. And when we run to God, we are running to his promises for us to stand on, not an explanation as to why we're facing our current situation in life. Tragedy explained doesn't give you hope and comfort and all all the rest of it. You know, hey, listen, a few weeks ago, we were in Merritt, B.C. Man, those people... You, they, they know probably more than any of us exactly what took place in their climate, in their situation that caused the flood. They could explain it to a T. Guess what? That didn't bring them any comfort whatsoever. Not at all. Let his comfort minister to your emotions. Let his comfort minister to your emotions. Story of David being at Ziklag in the Bible He's at a place where he's with his men, their wives, their children are left in a place. They go out, they come back. The enemy has come and taken them all away. And 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse six says this. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Just, just, Try to imagine how emotionally charged this particular moment is in what's going on. David, the Bible says, is, is greatly distressed. Put it in modern terms, he's freaking out. That's what's going on. He may be the leader, but he's freaking out. He's like, I can't believe this. I am here. They're all, they've all been taken. And now the people that I'm leading, uh, that are supposed to be here to help me, would sooner kill me. You know, because they're all, they're all grieving over everything that's going on. Listen, when we're in the heat of the problem, the first thing we want to do is change our circumstances. We want to get the pressure off. We want everything to get back to normal as fast as we can. And the problem with that is that it can actually be detrimental. It can actually be detrimental because we can make some quick decisions that are wrong. You know, I think of, of Saul When the prophet Samuel was late and was supposed to come and present a a sacrifice, and and now Saul's there and the people are getting impatient. And of course, he's afraid that the people will be, you know, upset at him because this thing has taken so long and all the rest. And he makes a decision out of fear. And instead of first doing what he should have done, which was get a grip on his emotions, stop being afraid of, of what's going on so that he can actually lead, he makes this impatient decision and it costs him greatly. When we're hurting, and our emotions are typically down. Um, things will will look worse than they really are. Um, we're, we're you know just in this negative disposition, and we're not in the kind of mood to make our best decisions in life. David dealt with his feelings of being overwhelmed and distressed before he actually got direction from God. The Bible says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. I don't, it doesn't give details as to what that looks like, but somehow David just kind of got with God in a moment and was able to snap out of being freaked out, be able to be in a place of strength to go, okay, God, you've got an answer for this. You never failed me. You are my ever-present help in time of trouble. Come on, I believe David prayed his own scriptures and, uh, and just started thinking about, okay, this is who God is in my life. I don't need to be freaked out right now. God's got an answer. Lord, help me lead these people. And, and, and then he gets the solution. He leads them. He doesn't get stoned. All the rest of it, everything turns around. But the first thing he did is he dealt with his emotions to get grounded, to get strengthened in the Lord. David dealt with his feelings of distress before he even sought God for direction. Whether we want to call it good or bad feelings, a good or a bad mood, a spirit of faith or spirit of unbelief, encouragement or discouragement, when we're emotionally distraught, we tend not to make our best decisions when we're either upset or fearful, when we're in those places, we don't make our best decisions. I think of Elijah who, you know, calls down fire on a sacrifice. And, and you would think with that kind of, uh, you know, powerful miracle and all the rest, it would have been, okay, you win, it's, it's over. But no, he has this, this person called Jezebel who decides, oh, now you've really made me mad. And uh, we need to kill this guy. And here he is now, he runs, he hides in a cave. And what does he do in, in his, this emotionally charged time? He prays something really, really smart that I'm sure you've prayed at some point in your life. Lord, kill me. <laughs> That's a solution to being stressed out. That's a solution to being chased after this miracle. Not the smartest prayer in his life. The rule of thumb is this, avoid making major life-altering decisions when you're emotionally distraught. Yeah. you Deal with the emotions first. You're not at a place to make those decisions because the focus of the moment will be simply to find peace and to get out of the stress. You won't make the wisest choices. When you're down, your perspective gets clouded with negativity. I think of the spies that Moses sent in and, uh, you know, 10 of them, uh, they see the enemy, they see the problem, they're overwhelmed by it, they're they're just totally negative, all the rest of it. Two of them, they go in, they're full of faith, they see the promises, they don't have an explanation for how they're gonna win this war, but they see the promises of God, they know God's on their side, they have an expectation for a great outcome, all the rest of it. But those 10 negative ones end up just exaggerating everything in their head that they saw. Their report was exaggerated. all the rest of it. And you know, when, when we have a bad day, we have something that doesn't go, go well. Our tendency, because of our emotional condition, will be to go there as well. You can have a bad day at work, and, and then you'll say things, you don't really mean them, but, but they're coming out of how you feel in the moment. You know, you come home, you had a bad day at work. Oh, I hate my job. Yeah, that's the one that you did four years of education in order to get, and you loved it for the, you know, oh, I hate my job. This is terrible. I want to quit. Or you have that, that car trouble, and, and, and the bill comes in, and it's like a $500, you know, repair bill, and you're like, oh, this car is so frustrating. I need to sell it so I can get a $500 a month payment. At any rate, um, <laughs> moving right along. I don't get a lot of amens from the car dealers on that one. But a negative attitude will tend towards exaggeration. And we need to deal with our feelings so that we can be truthful and constructive. You know, the other two spies, you know, they're going up to take in the land. They're they're full of faith. They're full of expectation. They just see possibilities. They have hope for a great future. They're walking in obedience to God, but also in trust towards God. And they're looking at the same situation with a completely different perspective than the other 10. What you see is governed by the emotions you look through. And looking through your pain can cloud judgment. Take time to get past the pain. Take time to minister to the emotions. Let God comfort you so that you can make your best decisions. Here's another thought about the comfort of the morning, and that is this. A lot of times when, when God comforts those who are mourning, he does it through other people. That it's not it's not like a so how do I say it, a disconnected sort of just spiritual experience. It's not always like that. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. but I am saying a lot of times the comfort comes through other people. God uses other people to minister his, his comfort in, into our lives. So let's talk about being an instrument of comfort to others. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. Okay, Scripture's acknowledging, God, he's the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. Now look at this. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. God's saying, hey, listen, I comfort you, but guess what? I also want to use you to bring comfort into the lives of others. Your comfort is only magnified by the fact that God is going to use it to comfort others through you. Now, there are many different kinds of losses that bring about a sense of mourning into a person's life. It can be the loss of, of opportunity, that someone was looking forward to, the loss of a business, the loss of relationship that just became distant or or mourning the loss of even how things used to be, all, all these sorts of things. But the greatest loss is always the loss of a loved one that brings about that sense of mourning. God's intention is to use you to minister comfort to that person who is in mourning. You're there to grieve with them to help carry the pain of their loss. And although this is true, I've just watched people, frankly, mess up with it so many times. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Sometimes out of, I don't know, weird religious thinking or whatever, or, or, or just even the awkwardness of dealing with mourning, people just say things that, like, don't help. And so I've watched this, I've seen this over and over, different funerals like, or death situations where people say things like, he's in a better place right now. Just think about how contrary that is to how the person is feeling. The word better is not a good word to a person mourning because they're not feeling this is better. All they're feeling is the loss of their presence. So don't say that. Or we get religious ideas. God's ways are higher than our ways. What does that have to do with anything? I mean, that, are you implying that this was God's idea? Okay, here's one. This one's unfortunately too popular. Well, the Lord took him. Okay, let's talk about this. There's only one place in the Bible where it says God took him. And that is in reference to Enoch. Here's what the scripture says. The scripture says that Enoch was walking with God. Listen, when he was 365 years old and God took him. Okay, two thoughts. First of all, one Bible verse is not a doctrine. Second thought, when I'm 365 years old, I hope God takes me. You know what I'm saying? It's like... People say things like, well, God knows what he's doing, as if this is his will, or God has a reason, as if God was the reason, or, well, there's a reason for, for everything. Well, you know what? Chaos is sometimes a reason. But leaning into an explanation is not comfort. Well, well we don't know what he did to deserve this. Well, that, that's like the worst. And of course, that's where Job's friends were at. Listen, bad theology is a terrible comforter. Bad theology is a terrible comfort. What we're doing is we're looking at death like it's a problem to solve or a mystery to understand and explain. Death is not a problem to solve. It's an experience to mourn. In fact, Mourning isn't a problem to solve either. It's part of the emotional recovery of the experience of loss. The other thing we do is we try to get the mourning over with. We look at it like, okay, this person is down and, and, and you know they're, they're obviously you know, in a sad place and, and maybe there's even tears and all the rest. So, so we feel like somehow we gotta fix this, but that's not what we're supposed to do. We're just uncomfortable with this person maybe being in this place. And so we're like, okay, I need to make this comfortable for myself. Well, you just made it about you. That's not helpful. The truth is that experiencing God's comfort can actually even happen over a period of time. Where they might, I've heard people talk about this, where they've experienced that sense of mourning and then a sense of God's comfort and and have it come and go in waves until they felt like it was fully processed for their life. So the idea that it's something we should try to sort of shut down as quickly as we can, is just not the way to process it. Okay, how then should we comfort those who mourn? Well, let's look at Jesus, for example. When his friend Lazarus died and the sisters were in mourning, Jesus showed up. He heard what they had to say, and then the shortest verse in the Bible happens where it says this, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. What should we do? What should we do? Well, we should show up. We should show up. Your presence in those moments in somebody's life means volumes. Volumes just the fact that you show up. We should listen. And by the way, just listen. Get get comfortable with the reality of sitting in silence with somebody. Ooh, it's awkward. We even have a word for it. We call it, you know, that that awkward silence. We kind of put those words together all the time. Oh, there was that awkward dead air moment. Well, when somebody's mourning, um, it may feel awkward to you. It's not awkward to them. Just listen, sit in silence. Don't explain or solve anything. Be quiet. Show empathy. Empathy. Connect with their feelings. That's what Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus wept. He was connecting with how they felt in that moment. But it, so connect with their feelings, but don't say, I know how you feel. Don't put a measurement on it like that. Just empathize with the fact that they're hurting and let them know, I'm sorry you're feeling what you're feeling right now. And here's the last, last thought, and that is this. Serve them. Don't ask. Don't, don't say anything I can do. Don't, don't ask that question. Just serve them. Find something you can do. Bring food. Cut grass. Shovel the driveway. Hopefully you don't do both in the same week. <laughs> it's Alberta. I got to cover the bases here. <laughs> Find a way to serve. Just do something and you'll comfort those in mourning. Okay, last part before we wrap up. Find freedom from a heavy heart. I want to talk about this this last area of comfort before we wrap up. There's a promise in Isaiah chapter 61 that God will turn your mourning into gladness and remove the spirit of, of fainting or a heavy heart, some translations call it, or a disheartened spirit. Isaiah 61.3 says, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, the cloak of praise instead of a disheartened spirit. So they'll be called oaks of righteousness and of the Lord that he may be glorified. It's speaking about the fact that you can go through a loss, be in mourning and just be left in this place of no hope and be disheartened, and still sort of carry a heavy heart, even though it's been months or even years after that particular situation took place. Mourning has a purpose. We're to go through it in tough times, and it's an emotional process, and it's normal, and it's healthy, but it's not meant to be a permanent condition that stays on your life. Ecclesiastes 3.4 says there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There, there's a time to mourn and a time to dance. How does God take us past this place of having a heavy heart, a, a disheartened spirit? Well, you know, a- after David's death of his first child with Bathsheba, David mourns, and then, and then he breaks free of that, and he stops fasting and weeping, and, and things all of a sudden change. Here's what the Scripture says, 2 Samuel twelve. He said, while the child was alive, I fasted and I wept for I said, you know, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. Three things that we can learn from David that can help us process the promise of Isaiah 61. First of all, he accepted his inability to change things. He accepted his inability to change. It. He didn't condemn himself, you know, about the death of his son. He just accepted the fact that this has happened, you know, this is reality. I have to accept it. Second of all, he left the results in the hands of God. Yeah, he was praying, he was asking God, he was doing all this stuff. At the end of the day, it's in God's hands. And when you don't put it in God's hands, here's what happens. It stays in yours. And when it stays in yours, you continually live in regret. Because if it stays in yours, you start thinking about, maybe I should have done this. Maybe I should have done that. What if this had happened? What if that had happened? And really what you're saying is, I carry the full responsibility of everything going on in my world. And that kind of keeps God out. David realized, I've got to put this in God's hands. I'm not meant to live in regret and condemnation. For the rest of my life and feeling like it's all on, on me. So he leaves the results up to God. And then the third thing he does is he begins just to focus on today. The Bible says he goes and he comforts Bathsheba, his wife, not focusing on yesterday or tomorrow, but on today. And this is very key to breaking out of a spirit of mourning. When our thoughts are consumed in our past and all the rest of it, we can go to a place of regret. We can just stay connected to the emotions of what we went through and all the rest of it. David recognizes the past has got to stay in the past. I need to focus on the now. The Apostle Paul said something similar when he said, I've learned to forget the past so that I can press on and move forward with what I have in my future. The spirit of mourning keeps us focused, though, on the past, When we stop focusing on the past and act on our today, our hope is revived for our future. This is so important that Joseph said to God that, said about God rather that God actually made him to forget his past and he named one of his sons after that. In Genesis 41, 51, it says, Joseph named his older son Manasseh for he said, this is the meaning of the guy's name, God has made me forget all my troubles and the family of my father. God has made me forget all these things. It isn't about that he couldn't remember. It's not like he would go up to Joseph and say, "Joseph, what went on 13 years or the last 13 years and he'd be like, oh, I forgot." No, he'd be able to totally tell you what it's talking about though is staying connected to it, you know, emotionally, spiritually, and all the rest and just still living in the drama of it and continuing with a heavy heart about it. He's saying, "No, no, God's caused me to forget that all, to let go of it." to be able to move past a a spirit of mourning into the freedom of God's comfort in my life. Would you stand as we take a moment to pray? I wanna wanna pray for a couple of things, but I realize this last section is is very, very focused and that there might be some of you who are here right now would say, I can identify with still carrying a heavy heart over something that I've gone through in my life. And I want to pray with you and I want to pray for you and I want to see you experience Isaiah 61 where the Lord can take that, where you can put it in God's hands, where you don't continue to carry that throughout your life. Let's let's bow if we would take this moment of prayer. I just want to ask as we do, how many here would say, Pastor, You know what? I can identify with that. Could you just give me a wave so I have an idea who I'm praying with? I can identify with that. I have a heavy heart about things I've went through. I still carry that. Okay, you guys can put your hands down. Thank you for, for your honesty. I want to pray for you, and then I want to lead you in a prayer. Father, I pray for all of those who have just identified that heavy spirit. Lord, we're so thankful that you have a promise to stand on promise to stand on that says you set us free from that that Lord that we don't have to live with this and carry this the rest of our lives Father we first of all admit our inability to change things of the past we should not carry a sense of responsibility for something we can do nothing about Lord we acknowledge the past we accept it and the fact that we are unable to change those things. Lord, we leave what took place in your hands. We're not meant to carry regret throughout our whole life. And so, Father, right now, we turn those things to your hands. Just where you're standing, if you've identified that, just tell the Lord, say, Lord, the situation, I'm putting it in your hands. Lord, what happened here, I'm putting it in your hands. Lord, the pain I went through, I'm putting that in your hands. You're not meant to carry it. God will take it from you if you'll give it to him. Lord, we're leaving the results up to you. And now, Heavenly Father, we turn our attention off of what's taken place and put it on today. We can't do anything about our yesterday. Tomorrow's not here yet, but we can do something about our today. In Jesus' name. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I let go of this heavy heart. I thank you for your promise in Isaiah 61 of filling my life with joy and gladness. In Jesus' name. Thank you for your freedom. And Lord, now I turn my attention to following you today, to what you have for me today for what you're going to do through my life today and on into my tomorrows. In Jesus' name, I walk in freedom from a heavy heart. Thank you, Father. Father, thank you right now for your spirit just reviving, restoring joy, bringing comfort, bringing new life. Father, I thank you there's so much more in life that is ahead of us than what's been behind us. Lord, I thank you there's so much more you want to do through each and every one of us in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed, I wanna pray one more prayer. Maybe you're here today and, you know, you've not yet secured Christ in your life as your Lord and Savior. You've been maybe looking into Christianity for a while, coming to church for a while, but today's your day. This is your moment. This is when you can have a conversation with God right now and settle in your heart Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe some time ago you prayed and gave your life to Christ, but you know right now you've just been walking at a distance that you really haven't been pursuing him, that you haven't been living it out. Why don't you get a fresh start? Why don't you get a new beginning right now by praying with us and and choosing to say, I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna set it right for what God has for me. I'm not gonna live my life without knowing the Savior. Would you pray with us right now if that's you? We're all gonna pray this together, and those online, we invite you to pray with us as well. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross to pay for the sins of the world. And that includes me. I ask you to forgive my past. I invite you into my life. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. And I'm going to follow you with all of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to our message today from our series, Managing Your Inner World. If you're wanting to know more about Celebration Church or if you would like to partner with us financially, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com. You can follow us on our Instagram and our Facebook at Celebration EDM to connect with us. Join us next week to hear another great message from our series, Managing Your Inner World.